Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. Often the images are of two women together and they'll be focused on each other. They're not performing for the camera, they're not performing for a perceived viewer. They're just having a great time enjoying each other. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we're immersing ourselves in the world of the queer culture-shaping sex-positive zine Wicked Women, which ran from 1988 to 1996. The occasion is the Queer Gaze Exhibition at the Victorian Pride Centre in St Kilda in Nam. The exhibition showcases images from the Wicked Women collection at Aqua, the Australian Queer Archives, and this is the first public showing of some of the images for many years. We speak with Lisa Salmon, one of the founders of Wicked Women, as well as hearing the voices of people who came along to the opening of the Queer Gaze exhibition on April 28. This is Lisa now. Uh, Yeah, sure. My name is Lisa Salmon. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I'm a queer woman who is looking back at her wild youth and... With a 50-year-old, like a middle age now, so I'm looking back at my wild youth with um, a little bit of wisdom on board and looking back with appreciation for um, what an amazing time that we had and how brave we were and how gorgeous we were back in the early 90s. That's really beautiful. Thank you uh, for bringing all of that here today. So... Yeah, we're going to be talking about Wicked Women. So to give an overview for our listeners, um, for someone who hasn't heard of Wicked Women, how would you describe it? Okay, so Wicked Women started out as a zine, actually, in the late 80s when my girlfriend and I decided that Dykes needed some decent representation in the media. At the time we had, there was one character on a TV show called Prisoner, There was um, a tennis star, Martina Navratilova, but that was about it, really. Like, no one was out. Jodie Foster was still in the closet. Um, Yeah, so we, all our friends were really hot and we were gorgeous and young and we wanted to see ourselves on, in magazines at least, at that time. And so we produced a sex-positive magazine called Wicked Women and that's yeah that's where it all started. That sounds like a very different time so Wicked Women the print run was from 1988 to 1996 um, and I understand you were also influenced by some other um, very important I guess queer zines or magazines from the time so Square Peg from the UK and uh, from the USA On Our Backs. Um, would you like to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, that's right. So these magazines were coming out from Europe and from America and it was the beginning of, I guess you call it the third wave feminism, um, when women were starting to really own our sexuality. We were strutting our stuff and 
So my partner and I wanted to produce an Australian version of the same thing. Remember that this was the time before the internet. You couldn't go online and connect with um, like-minded people. And so, yeah, we wanted to um, create a community like that in Australia. Oh, we had dreams. We dreamt about that. Yeah. This is Lisa opening the Queer Gaze exhibition. Hi, everyone. Oh, wow, it's so great to see you all. Um, thank you for coming along and um, I hope you're enjoying the show. Um, it's been really heaps of fun putting it together, reconnecting with all the people in the photographs and um, reconnecting with my community. Um, I'd like to say thanks to the Pride Centre for this sumptuous exhibition space. Isn't it gorgeous? Like, wow. Um, dedicated to queer expression. <clears throat> and I'd like to thank the Visual Art Working Group for inviting me to do this show. Thanks especially to Ange Bailey and Nick Henderson of the Australian Queer Archives for your support in preparing this exhibition. Aqua is a vibrant community hub that treasures the present as well as the past. They can be found just at the top of the stairs there. Um, a hearty thanks to all the photographers who kindly shared their images with us. And a big thanks to all the wicked patrons, partygoers, writers, models, costumers, choreographers, performers, Ms. Wicked entrants, human props, <laughs> dance floor queens, and other fellow outliers. Together we formed a vibrant community of stomping, strutting queens. We provoked discussion and got on with empowering each other by celebrating our queerness in all its forms. We really just got on with it, didn't we? It, this is quite a reunion tonight, seeing everyone. We're talking today because there's an exhibition on at the Pride Centre. Um, it's called uh, The Queer Gaze. Um, and it, it's a collection of photos that have appeared in Wicked Women and also from events from around that time. Um, and yeah, in the, um, the zine you made that functions as the catalogue for the exhibition, you've got this really beautiful quote, which is, together we face the stigma of HIV AIDS, street violence and lesbian and trans invisibility to create a pocket of queer joy. So I want to talk about what that queerness means in a political sense like what did making that community mean at the time well for me it was it was a personal endeavor initially I mean obviously we were quite driven or motivated um, to push back against all the messages that women get around how to be how to exist in the world and, you know, you weren't allowed to be sexual, you weren't allowed to be angry, you weren't allowed to be powerful, you weren't allowed to be self-determined even. Um, like, the, like we couldn't even get a bank loan. You couldn't get your own bank loan. <laughs> it's not that long ago, right? A woman, yeah, wasn't able to without a male signature. That's wild. Isn't that mad? I know. So, yeah, we were very consciously pushing back against mainstream society and the expectations placed on young women or every or women but I really felt it as a teenager so that so queer spaces in that regards were, were really important were really vital um, space for us to feel free to explore who we were and safe for many of us in the community to explore gender and um, yeah and to be a little bit free from the male gaze this is Lisa a different Lisa 
in the crowd at the Queer Gays opening night. Yeah, I remember a lot of the events. I think um, it was it was a time when it was actually quite repressive to be a lesbian. Um, there were a lot of rules around it, and this was a breaking of all of those. So, um, so it was actually felt very free and very different to what had come before because there was a lot of you know rigidity into what it meant to be a lesbian, and it wasn't. There wasn't a word queer then. It was really just lesbian and gay and there was a mould. And if you didn't quite fit into that mould, you know... It, so I think um, I think it just represents that time of breaking free. I want to talk more about gender because I think this seems like one of the really amazing things about Wicked Women, um, that you do have this particular sort of like queer um, lens on gender um, and inclusivity, which I think is... Um, yeah, pretty spectacular considering the time. How um, how did that come about? Uh, you mentioned your your partner before, um, Jasper. Um, would you like to speak a bit about that? Or um, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't. I definitely don't want to speak for him, but I can give you my perspective. And um, so our events were predominantly lesbian, are predominantly women. Base, but we were always co- we called it coalitionist then. Like I always had gay boyfriends, we always had trans friends, and we weren't about excluding them from our spaces or the magazine. In fact, although I think it is significant that it was predominantly gay women that ran it. Um, so my partner Jasper um, transitioned to in he lives now as a man and has done for like three decades. He was a pioneer trans man. Really, really brave, really incredible man. For those of you who have met him or heard him speak, he's very eloquent. And um, he always held his ground. And um, he, ha- he, he tells me he was like on a mission. I mean, <laughs> it seems like because of the personal um, experiences of like making the magazine, like it seems very organic to sort of arrive at this conclusion that um, queer community um, can, um, yeah, should be, uh, like like you said, like a coalition or inclusive or that's the kind of solidarity we can have have with each other. Um, I found a quote actually in your, um, your catalogue zine, which is, um, it's actually Jasper saying, um, lesbian support for other sexual minorities need not be gender-based. Rather, one sexual minority can join others in a united front against the sexually repressive government and heterosexism in the society in which we live. So, yeah, I thought that's really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, very ambitious for the time and still rings, like, I think the language is slightly different now, but I think, you know, listeners will know what that means. Yeah. I know, it's incredible. Like, this is more than three decades ago he was writing that. And, um, uh, yeah, so it's been really interesting going through the archives. So now all the Wicked Women magazines and the photographs and everything are stored at ACWA, Australian Queer Archives. And for me it's been really interesting revisiting those magazines and reading through our editorials and reading through all the articles and seeing how political we were and how thoughtful we were. Like I think now it can be like people can focus just on the more titillating aspects or, um, yeah, they don't really understand that we had um, quite strong opinions and we were quite, um, yeah, we were really on a, on a mission. <laughs> mm. This is Vivian speaking about one of the photos in the exhibition. 
So it's a picture of a policeman in a helmet, a motorbike cop, uh, pointing his finger at me and um, kind of giving some attitude back. Now, um, I haven't seen this photo for a very long time, but um, what happened was it was kind of very early days for Dykes on Bikes, so it was pretty controversial still, but we'd got an exemption for helmets. From 4pm onwards, we were allowed to uh, ride around Surrey Hills and down Oxford Street to get ready to go, and this uh, um, blue lighted us, right, and pulled us all over for not having helmets. So I'm kind of saying, listen, we have an exemption, and then he asked me, where's the exemption? I'm like, we just do. But we did. Uh, he let us go. Oh, and later in the night, um, Jude and I um, uh, did a live cross with Daryl Summers and Ozzy Ostrich for Hey Hey It's Saturday. That's bananas. That's wild. <laughs> it's a crazy night. But it was a really good night because it was 1993. Fred Nile was parked up on one of the side streets with about 2,000 people screaming at us. It was right in the middle of, you know, uh, we were putting together floats for AIDS. You know, it was all very political. It was all very passionate. The parties were amazing afterwards. So that was like a real... Mardi Gras that one. Let's talk about, I mean, you describe the publication as a sex positive zine. So what might people find within the pages of an edition of Wicked Women? Oh, there's definitely erotica. So erotic writing. Um, the imagery is, you know, not what you'd find in, in a pornographic magazine. It's more about representation of sexuality rather than explicit sexuality. Um, you might also find there's quite a specific... Um, what I call the queer gaze is represented, which means that often the images are of two women together and they'll be focused on each other. They're not performing for the camera. They're not performing for a perceived viewer. They're just having a great time enjoying each other. And it's quite a distinctive set of imagery. Women on the Line. You're hearing an interview with Lisa Salmon, one of the founders of the sex-positive zine Wicked Women. You're also hearing some of the voices of people who came to the opening of the Queer Gaze exhibition, celebrating the magazine at the Victorian Pride Centre in St Kilda, Nam, on April 28th. This is Lisa Now. I think you'll see, if you come to the exhibition at the, at the Pride Centre, you'll see the images are really... Um, they seem really fresh still, like three decades later. There's a um, there's a vitality about them. A lot of them leap off the wall. Yeah, that was certainly my impression coming along to the exhibition. And also um, everyone's just having a really good time. Like that, <laughs> that really struck me. Everyone looks like um, powerful and uh, in the moment in this way, which is really striking. Yeah, I think when you're true to yourself and true to your nature and allow that wildness to come forth, then what we do feel is joy. This is Meredith at the opening of the Queer Gaze exhibition. I think the beauty of um, Wicked Women was it, it was very, um, it was totally DIY. People, and also it had this very collectivist kind of dream about how we can build culture for each other and build community and find each other. I think that's 
it's a bit different now. I think it's harder now. Well, maybe it's generational, but for me, it feels a bit harder. <laughs> but um, yeah, so for me, there was there was lots of positive things. There was there were some things that were, you know, we didn't get right, and we were learning. And yeah, but I think there was a lot of stuff around caring for each other in community that I think we were doing right right now. That was really moving and beautiful and loving. <laughs> Let's move towards sort of, I guess, events and community now. So there's a magazine, but there's also these um, parties that happen. And I, I'm led to believe that they were very good parties. <laughs> um, um, so, for example, there was the Ms. Wicked competition. Could you speak a bit about that? Yeah, I think, I think um, in the end we became more famous for the parties than for the magazine. Um, so they, we had a competition. Or initially we had a couple of fundraiser events, um, the first one was supported by Mardi Gras, which was interesting. Like they gave us a leg up and we were able to hire lights and sound and pay a DJ and get a space. And that was, that was really exciting. And we attracted, we weren't even sure if anyone would come. And um, like 300 people came and we were really excited about that. So that kind of kept us going. Like we really wanted to have a space. We were so, so jealous of Gabe that gay boys had spaces that were dimly lit and that you could go and dress up in fetish gear or be a little bit sexy and cruise each other and get down on the dance floor. In contrast, the lesbian spaces tended to be like the pool table, I guess that's cool, but, you know, they were brightly lit. They were not sexy at all. They often didn't even have a DJ. They'd be on on a Tuesday night when on a night when no one else wanted to go out. So... Jasper and I put out the call. We said, you know, we, we really need some great dyke spaces. Uh, and there was just silence. <laughs> and so we realised, okay, we're going to have to just DIY again. So, yeah, without any experience, like running events or anything, we, we created the sort of places that we wanted to go. And... Um, and I mean, we had friends that said they would come, but yeah, we didn't expect the um, the reaction that we got. And people came out in droves, so all these women turned up in in their gear and looking really hot. And um, we met some really great. We ended up with a team of really amazing people. So Gemma was our DJ, and she um, she was really great at creating spaces using lighting and sound. And, of course, we had performances. So right from the start we would put on performances where we would perform um, erotic, I guess. They were erotic fantasies. (laughs) So cool. Yeah. (laughs) This is Carol in the crowd on exhibition opening night. You know, the magazine used to be sold under the counter. So you'd go to the bookshop and also, so all the Leso stuff was in a bookshelf hidden from everything else as well. And the Wicked Women magazines were underneath the bookshelf. And then you'd go buy it and get your brown paper bag. So, so you'd find the queer section. We, we knew that the, the bookshop was run by a lesbian. And so that's where the poetry and, you know, all of the fiction was. And it was only one big shelf at the time, placed very discreetly because, like, if anyone else came in, you could just turn to the literature that was right next to it. So 
Yeah, we knew it was there. Everything was word of mouth, I think, at that time. As well as the um, excellent parties, you mentioned freedom before, which I think is such, like, this is really what, I mean, I knew about Wicked Women before the exhibition, but, yeah, that's really what drew me to to this subject. I mean, there's a quote in um, your zine, the catalogue zine, where you say, shut down, we fester. Disconnection from wildness curbs the cultivation of the innate connections we have to ourselves, each other and the planet. So, I mean, what what were you, you've touched on it a bit before, but what were you liberating yourselves from? Or maybe two is like a better um, way of saying it. Um, partly, yeah, the socialisation, I think, that women and men get to be a certain way and we're taught to be afraid we're taught to be afraid of our sexuality of our anger of our power and I found that once I started freeing myself by allowing myself to think taboo thoughts or express taboo imagery or taboo feelings then um, I experienced incredible freedom I think once you like once I realised that kissing girls was fun, I started questioning other rules, other things that I told were wrong. And I thought, if, you, if kissing girls is wrong, but it's so fun, what else that they tell me is wrong is actually worth pursuing? What a good uh, gateway drug, as they say. <laughs> um, yeah. And, I mean, what... What do you think the cost is, conversely, of not having that freedom? Like of oh, living a life half-lived. Like, yeah. Who wants that? This is Dr Mayhem. Well, I'm from Sydney, and I was like a little baby, possibly proto-baby queer when this was happening. So I know some of the people in the photos. I heard about the parties. I was too terrified to go. Um, and then when I came out, like, I, I bought a couple of issues at some carnival just before it closed. So it's like, and, you know, they had interviews with, like, Gay Rubin, you know, like, and we didn't have the internet. And that, that was the thing. So it was like theory, you know, theory, sex, creativity, imagination, and all of that stuff. And it was there, you know, and if you could get your paws on a magazine, it was in, it was incredible. I mean, where do you think the body of work you created, so the magazines, parties, I guess the community relationships as well, like, where does that sit in terms of modern queer representation, like? Do you think that there's a direct relationship? or? Yeah, I'm really um, interested actually in building discourse and building bridges between the current generation, like old Gen Z coming through and us. And um, for, I think everyone, there is an interest in the 1990s and in queer history in particular. And I think there's a lot of interest from both sides around, yeah, making stronger connections um, and kind of seeing how we dealt with really similar issues. Yeah, like the policing of gender, we were up against that from within the community as well as from without. And how to navigate that is really tricky. And I think the policing of language was was an issue for us at the time as well. And um, how we can get sidetracked, like now we can get sidetracked by cancel culture when I think it, what's needed is discourse and what's needed is education. And um, like that was relevant three decades ago and it's still relevant now. So, yeah, I think um, I think it'd be really great for, for Gen Zs and millennials to hear from us 
and to hear our stories and hear what we've got to say, but also vice versa. It's really important for us to hear um, from youth and see, like, they're so articulate. Like, they're just really um, incredible. They're much less afraid than we were. I'm really inspired, actually, by, by young people coming through now. Speaking about, I guess, like the DIY nature of the magazine, do you think that um, doing, and I guess generational change, um, do you think that doing everything yourself, like really literally creating the magazine, the parties, creating a space for the communities to form from the ground up is different to, say, publishing today on a platform like, say, Tumblr or Instagram or building an internet-based community? And if so, how do you think it's different? Um, I think it gave us a lot of freedom. Like we didn't have to answer to any funding body or anyone really. Like gave us incredible freedom, and it also um, demystified the publishing industry for me. Like I was like, all oh, right, so anyone can make a magazine. Uh, okay, so we can be in the magazine. Like it was, yeah, it was really a great learning for me. I mean, we did come up against printers that didn't want to publish our imagery and. Um, it was really important to kind of find, like then, to get photographs printed, you needed to actually go to a lab and get them printed. You couldn't just, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's really the level of DIY rely, relied on community. So you had to have like sympathetic infrastructure, but maybe on the other hand, less censorship in a way as well. Uh, yeah. And um, like every obstacle that we came across actually ended up, you know, like finding a solution always led to building community and making connections with other people and finding fellow, finding friends. This is Chris. Yeah, really great memories of their live events in Sydney where I live there and um, the magazines and the whole kind of feel, perfect timing for me. I think I was in my early 20s and I had um, kind of had lots of reason not to come out I suppose but that's where I kind of popped out I suppose was in that scene and helped give me a leg up into kind of finding my own identity. That's amazing what a great place to uh, wash up on the shores of. There's <laughs> a lot of fun and a lot of focus on celebration and sexuality and individuality but also that collectivism, I suppose, where everyone's in it together. So, Just to move to some logistics, um, I mean, the exhibition is on now. Um, where can people go and see some of these images um, if they want to drop into the exhibition? Uh, so the exhibition, The Queer Gaze, is on at the Victorian Pride Centre, which is in St Kilda in Nam. And it will be up until the end of June. We also have an event planned for the 17th of June, which is a storytelling evening. And so far we've got a couple of Ms Wickards lined up to share um, their experiences of entering the competition. Um, I'm really keen to hear their stories. And we've got a panel discussion which is shaping up to be about looking at the legacy of Wicked Women and, and um, the impact as well. And, um, yeah, and making some connections with young um, queers today. Super exciting. Um, I have one last question, my bonus question. So looking back on Wicked Women, how do you feel all about it all now? 
oh, I feel I'm actually quite in awe. <laughs> I look at photos of myself and go, wow, was I really that sassy? <laughs> Yep, I was sassy. Oh, for some of that sass now, I would love it. <laughs> that was Lisa Salmon, one of the founders of the sex-positive zine Wicked Women, which ran from 1988 to 1996. In today's show, you also heard the voices of people who came to the opening of the Queer Gaze exhibition on April 28th at the Victorian Pride Centre in St Kilda, Nam. The exhibition features images from the Wicked Women collection at Aqua, the Australian Queer Archives, and as Lisa mentioned, there's also a Wicked Women storytelling evening coming up on June 17. You can find more information at pridecentre.org.au. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. This program was produced in Nam, Melbourne, with the amazing support of 3CR staff. A big thank you to them. Women on the Line is broadcast across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network, and we greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 8377. If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website, 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time. <laughs>